Good evening. Good afternoon, buddy. How you doing, Scott? This is take two. <laughs> take two. This time, Scott pushed the button. Pushed the right button. We got the button pushed. Got We're ready to pushed. go. Okay. So we are picking up our study of healing and the kingdom and this is what we're doing on friday nights right? usually yes uh things changed a little bit this week but we're just rolling with it yep it's been a crazy week amen and so we're going to look at tongues today because tongues illustrates a point that i'm trying to make the gift of tongues as i'm going to demonstrate is related in particular to the jewish people during that 40 year time period yep after Christ went back to heaven. And while that kingdom offer was being made again through the disciples, Paul did this too, but it was predominantly Peter, it's mentioned, mm. who was the apostle to those who were circumcised. Right. And so as this gospel is being preached to them, as two layers, obviously the individual aspect getting saved, and then there's the corporate aspect, repent so the kingdom can come. While they're preaching that, tongues is around. And once that kingdom message is no longer being made, once the offer is, so to speak, rescinded, rescinded, that's when tongues would pass out. It wouldn't be used anymore in the church. Um, hmm. I'm going to prove that. Sure. But again, just recapping very slightly what we talked about last time. Uh, the kingdom offer is talked about a good deal in Matthew. The reason why dispensationalists even believe that the kingdom was literally offered is because of their hermeneutic. The way that they approach the Bible is a literal interpretation of scripture. So in the old Testament, when it talks about the kingdom literally being given to the Jews, we're not going to spiritualize that and say, well, that's the church. This is the heavenly people of God. If it's talking about the kingdom on earth, it's on earth. If it's talking about the kingdom being given to the Jews, it's talking about the kingdom to the Jews. Right? So when you get to the new Testament, he's talking to the Jewish people and he offers them, not the Gentiles. We saw Matthew 10, he sends out the disciples just to the Jews. Yeah. And they're specifically forbidden from going to the Samaritans and the Gentiles. When they're preaching the kingdom, it pertains to them. Hmm. So he's offering them something that he's not offering anybody else. So we talked about how the millennium won't begin until the Jews repent. And that time period where the offer is made once again, that's the tribulation. So during the seven years of Daniel's 70th week, you're going to have the 144,000 preaching even before that. I mean, right. from the very first day, you got Moses and Elijah. I think those are the two witnesses, but at the least, we'll just say the two witnesses, sure. they're prophets, and they're going to be making this same offer that was made 2,000 years ago. They're going to be saying, repent, okay, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, of course, God knows everything in his foreknowledge, and he's planned it out in such a way that this generation will be a generation that repents. Now, he knew 2,000 years ago the Jews wouldn't repent. Right. Okay, so this is like, how do you understand foreknowledge and how it relates to free will? We know that people freely choose, but since God knows what they're freely going to do in any situation, he uses that as part of his plan. Sure. So people can't say, oh, well, you already knew what I was going to do and you plan to do this and that. It doesn't matter because there's a logical priority here. Exactly. It's based on people's choice, yes. even if he already knows what it's going to be. And so <clears throat> Daniel's 70th week, when that offer is made again, they'll repent. The offer will be accepted. And so the kingdom comes. So the kingdom could not come now. I know it's a very audacious claim. Mm. If you're someone who believes in a uh, covenant theology or kingdom now theology, but I'm saying that the kingdom will not come until the Jews repent. The reason that I say that is because Jesus says that, and we're going to look at that. Uh, hopefully we'll get to it tonight. Pretty sure. Uh, in Matthew 23, 
Jesus says that the kingdom will not come until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and he was talking about the Jewish leadership in particular that were representing the people as a whole. And right. Because they rejected Jesus, the people did. And he will not return, as he said, until they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They have mm. to say that. They have to open their hearts to Christ and receive him as Messiah. And until they do that, the kingdom won't come. Right. The rapture only, is a separate thing, though. Yeah, and only some of them said that the first time around. Yes, exactly. Right? Only some of them did. That was not the majority. Correct. And even some of those people that said it when he came into the streets, yeah. you wonder. It's like a week later. Are the they the ones were, that were saying? Crucify him, crucify right. him. It's possible that some of them did believe that Jesus was going to be the political version mm-hmm. of Messiah. And whenever he didn't meet that expectation, they turned on him. Yeah. Okay, we don't know for sure. There were probably... Most certainly, I would say a number of those people that genuinely believe that he was the Messiah. Some say that's what um, um, Judas thought. Yeah, I think that Judas probably did conceive of Jesus as a Messiah in a very earthly sense. Yes. Uh, I think he thought he was going to be like maybe a David or mm-hmm. a Judas Maccabeus, someone who you, you want to be close to him. Right. You know, you want to be in his sphere of influence so Absolutely. you can get the money and the power and the prestige and all that. Uh, but anyways, Sorry. What, Whatever yeah. those people were, were thinking, thinking. Uh, the point is, the people in Daniel's 70th week, we know what they'll be thinking. Yes. The Jews as a whole will be thinking, this is the one. Mm-hmm. Like, in the fullest sense of the term, he's not just a political messiah, he's also savior of my soul. And those people are going to say, come, Lord, come. And he mm-hmm. will. So, today, we're going to talk now about um, tongues. So, let's look at 1 Corinthians 14. And... Paul in here is talking about tongues and prophecy and the practical side of things, like how these gifts should be used in the church setting. But I want to look at a couple verses here. We'll actually start in verse number 21, because here he refers to the Old Testament. He refers to Isaiah 28, and we'll go there in a minute. Oh, yeah. But in 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 21, it says, In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that, will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So specifically here it is said that the gift of tongues is for those who believe not. So Tongues had a specific nature. It was a sign to unbelievers. The question is, is this unbelievers in a general sense or is it unbelievers in a specific sense? If you say this is in a general sense, then one could make the argument, as I'm sure some do, that tongues could be a sign to unbelievers today. Hmm. However, what we're going to see when we turn to Isaiah is this is specifically relating to the Jewish people. Right. And so this ties into that kingdom offer. So let's look at Isaiah 28. And we're going to see what Paul was talking about. Now, this is an example in scripture of a near fulfillment versus po- or a future fulfillment prophecy. Sure. So in Isaiah 28, this would have a near fulfillment. The Assyrian nation will come and they'll invade Israel. And before that happened, um, they would have had communication with people who spoke in 
the Assyrian tongue, uh, Aramaic. Sure. And so the speaking in foreign languages was a sign that the nation was about to be invaded by these people. Huh. And so in Isaiah 28, 11, um, it says, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. So in this context, he's talking about the temporal judgment that was to come upon the nation of Israel. And it says in verse 11 again, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. The foreign language spoken by the invaders, Assyrian, is what mm-hmm. is in view here. That's the near fulfillment. However, there is a future far away fulfillment, and this relates to what Paul talked about. So if we're trying to make these prophecies, or rather fulfillments of one, uh, one prophecy, if we're trying to make them parallel and understand what's being talked about. In the Old Testament, Isaiah is talking about the Assyrian language. Okay, They were Gentiles. Yeah. That's their language that they speak. It's talking about them invading Israel from the north. The far fulfillment is also talking about an invading nation. Okay, Now, this invading nation would come in 70 AD, and it was the Romans. Hmm. And so the Romans would be the ones who would judge Israel in this case. Often in scripture, when it talks about the invasion of Israel, um, it'll talk about one people invading, but it's a type for another event in the future. For example, uh, if you're in Daniel, when it talks about the king of the north, Mm -hmm. well, the king of the north is Antiochus Epiphanes, but Antiochus Epiphanes foreshadows the Antichrist, Mm -hmm. who's also called the king of the north. Mm -hmm. So here, the people invading Israel in Isaiah's day or soon after, those people are picturing the Romans who are also going to invade. We may not have picked up on that in Isaiah if it wasn't for Paul, but Paul's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's telling us that this is what the prophecy refers to. So the Jewish people were given a warning for 40 years, as Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians alike are given the gift of tongues during this period, and they're speaking in Gentile languages, like at Pentecost. This is a sign that if they do not repent, they will be invaded and they will be judged. So Paul is saying this is happening now because the Jews are being given an opportunity to repent. And guess what? We know what happened. They didn't repent and judgment came. This is why growing up in a Christian household, um, I feel like I was a little gypped because I never heard about 70 AD. It never was important really. Um, I knew that Jesus had prophesied that the temple would be destroyed, but sure. you know, that just seems so vague and far off, right? Yeah. But this is a very pertinent event. Jesus prophesied about this. Paul's talking about this, okay? Not directly, but he's alluding to the coming sure. judgment, and that's when it happened. So 70 AD is a huge event in Bible prophecy. Right. And, and it exactly happened 40 years after Jesus disappears, mm-hmm. after he you know sends for Goes the Mount up, of Olives. The last time, right. Yeah, and so this is a time of testing, and during that time, tongues is being spoken, these foreign languages, as the Jews are hearing it. Okay, imagine from their perspective. I mean, there are Messianic Jews and Gentiles that are converting because they hear Paul or mm-hmm. Peter's message or any of the apostles, 
And all over the Roman Empire, you're going to have Jews in those communities who are hearing people speak in other languages because this miracle is being poured out upon those who believe in Christ. Right. And this is meant to be a warning to them that if they were Bereans and if they search the scripture and they listen to Paul as he expounds the scripture, they are without excuse. I mean, the Romans were already there. However, we're talking them coming in and trashing and exactly. No yeah. We're not talking about them governing. We're Israel. talking about them smashing, smashing them. the temple and, and spreading them out to the, all the corners. Yeah, of the earth, exactly. Right? Because they were carried away. Yes. And Jesus prophesied that in the gospel of Luke, that they would be carried away. Mm. And so that hadn't happened. I mean, they're in the land. Obviously sure. they're discontent, right? They're not entirely settled. They're not happy with things, right. but at least they're in their land. Yes. But in 70 AD, their temple, the Holy temple is destroyed. Just as it was previously, just yeah. like it was before. And, and you know, what's interesting. Yeah. It happened on the exact same day of the calendar. I've heard. Yes. As the yeah. first temple's destruction, yes. the exact same day. So 70 AD is connected to events that already happened because mm. one is a type or a foreshadowing of the other. Right. And so when we're reading about tongues in scripture and we ask this question that is divided denominations is tongues for today. There's generally two ways you approach this. And I think both are correct. I really think that the strength, of uh, my argument is to take them and put them together. The first argument is to say, well, tongues is a form of prophecy. Now it does need to be interpreted. Mm -hmm. So Paul does put tongues on the same level as prophecy. If there is an interpreter, an interpreter. present, yes. if there's not, then prophecy is obviously better because you can understand it. Right. But interpreted tongues is prophecy. And if you say that, all right, well in the first century, the foundations being laid, the foundation consists of the apostles and the prophets then it makes logical sense, biblical sense that we wouldn't see that today right? because it was a foundational gift. It was revelation for a time. So that's a good argument. That's generally where people will go uh, like Ephesians 2.20 is the verse. They will go mm. to that verse to say tongues and prophecy have ceased. And I think that's a good argument, right? but they're missing another argument. Another one it's icing on top of the cake. Yeah. And it's this one right here that tongues is not just ceased because it was revelation. It ceased because it was assigned to the Jews. Mm. So when people wonder like tongues, why tongues, why speak in other languages? Obviously this would have a practical value of We're not talking Benny Hinn here. No, 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 no. <laughs> We're talking about biblical tongues. Trying speaking to point in... it out to everybody. Yes. Listening. Thank you. Yes. This is not a heavenly prayer language. Okay? Right. This is literal languages, just like the people at Pentecost exactly. could hear the apostles speaking yes. in their language. So this would break down language barriers. It would help an evangelist. Absolutely. So God's, God's so wise. He's got so many different reasons for what he does. Yes. Um, and, and sometimes we're only aware of one. And as we study and we dig, we realize, oh, well, God actually had a lot of good reasons mm -hmm. for doing things this way. So there was a practical reason for it. And that's why today it wouldn't surprise me if God performed a miracle like this. Okay. Yes. To where he breaks down the language barrier and somebody, maybe they're not even aware of it as they're doing it. I've heard a story of, of a preacher that um, I used to sit under when I was younger um, at Goshen Baptist church. And, you know, he's even today, like me, uh, a cessationist, but he said, I was preaching to a Spanish speaking audience. Yeah. And I, I, was told there'd be an interpreter there, a translator and the translator didn't show up. Translator was sick. Okay. Mm -hmm. And 
he was told that, look, all these people are gathered here for you. You've got to translate right. for these people. He's like, I don't know Spanish. They said, well, then go up there and, and you just preach in English and do your best. Pretend like these people understand you. He's like, well, I think that's crazy, but okay, I'll do it. So he went up there and he preached the message. And afterward, people started to respond. He's like, wait a second. These people seem to have understood me. Right. And he discovered after talking with some people, I think that in the story, the translator actually finally showed up and uh, they heard Spanish. Now they said, you spoke perfect Spanish. And he's like, I don't know any Spanish. Like my sure. Spanish limited to ordering in a Mexican restaurant. Right. Even then yeah, it's not very Taco good. Bell, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, but it wasn't something that he did on a regular basis. It wasn't a gift as described. It just happened. It just happened. So I do believe God does that. So I, I'm not a cessationist in the extreme sense that if I hear something like that from an honest Bible believer, I will ignore it. I'm not going to. At the same time, starting with scripture as our authority, I don't believe that this gift in any permanent sense, in any regular sense, is part of the church uh, organizational structure today. Correct. Like there are gifts that still are in the church for the edification of one another, but mm-hmm. this is one of those gifts that I do believe has passed away um, for the reasons that I just gave you, but God can still do anything. And that's something we're going to talk about with healing. We do believe healing happens. Mm-hmm. I've heard stories about healing, but people will conflate the gift of healing and healing. Right. So when I pray and God answers my prayer, he's done it many times. Um, and it's, it's happened miraculously. I had one student who I had first semester when I was teaching and his name's Samuel. Awesome guy. Um, you could tell God's at work in his life. Yeah. And he had a stroke. Mm. This was probably a year ago, maybe two years ago, He told me about but he yeah. had a stroke. And I mean, he was in the hospital and they were saying, this is not good. Like, I mean, be realistic. Right. Okay. We just want to tell you what this might lead to. He may not come out of this. Right. But the community was like, we know this kid. We're praying for this kid. Sure. God's got a plan for this kid. And and I was praying. My classes were praying. I think I even mentioned it. I remember it may have been yeah. Sunday school. Yeah. And everybody was like praying and sharing, you know, prayer posts. Yes. And it was literally like a movement up in LJ. And uh Man oh man. Up and, in LJ. Up in LJ. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> but <laughs> listen. He not only came out of it, but he rapidly recovered. Wow. I mean, he just one day he woke up and he's like, I'm hungry talking like I'm hungry. And, and, you know, there were obviously, you know, he had some hurdles to overcome. But listen, it was rapid recovery. Sorry, go ahead. The doctors were just amazed. They were like, this is crazy. Like, we've never seen somebody like this, this young have such a severe stroke like this and turn it around and turn around and, and just, you know, it's like the 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 football player. You know, you know, the story where this just happened like last week and he was hit. Um, he had a heart attack. Like he got up after being hit and he dropped. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and, I've heard I've, you know, I've heard people talking about it. But tell me the story because so, I honestly haven't followed it very right, closely. So and I haven't followed it that closely. But anyway, so, yeah, he dropped um, and everybody started praying and I take him off field. Um, both teams, I think, were praying together. People in the stands were all praying. Um, so he went off to the hospital and i just heard yesterday report that um they said that he was he was up because they didn't know if he was going to live at all right he he was actually up and watching the game that they his team had just played and had been and jumped up and was jumping up and down because their team did well that's it's awesome. like 
you know, a week later. Man. You know, it's but yeah. prayer. Everybody Absolutely. around this country that prayed, prayed for that boy. And and God and God used that to demonstrate yes. his glory. He's there, Amen. he listens to prayer. And so I do believe in prayer, but here's the difference between the gift of healing and that, because there is a difference. Sure. The difference is the gift of healing in the Old Testament was exercised at a time where the gift of prophecy was also in play. So someone who was given a commission, let's say like a disciple or an apostle, all right, they were given the ability to proclaim someone healed sure, because they knew that that was God's will. They had insight. It's sort of like uh, the conversation, and this is more negative, right? But the conversation that Peter has with Simon the magician or the conversation he has with Ananias and Sapphira, he knows their heart, okay? No matter how deceptive they tried to appear and to cover up their sin, he saw through them. Now, I can't do that. I can't look at someone and say, you're a liar. Right. I can't do that, all right, because I don't have that gift of insight. But he had the Holy Spirit. The apostles did. Yes. And so when they saw a man who was sitting in front of the temple lame, sure. they could say, I have the authority. God has told me to tell yeah. you. Get up and stand. Get up. Yeah. You know, I can't do that because I don't have that gift of Correct. prophecy, which God says, this is my will. Correct. So I can say, look, God often wills to heal people. But I can't promise you that. I Correct. can't declare that. Now, if someone says, I believe in Jesus, I can say, based on God's word, you are forgiven. Yes. But when it comes to healing, I can't do that. I can say, I'll pray for you. God can heal you. Okay. There's good reason to believe that, that God you know, is not only aware of your situation, yep. but he certainly wants to bless you. Mm-hmm. And, and he may bless you in this way that we all desire for you. Right. He, he may bless you with healing. And so we're going to ask him to. If he says no, God's got a reason. He's got a reason. And it's a good one. Yeah. Whatever it is, it's good. So when I was a teenager in high school and even in college, I felt like I had to follow up every prayer with, if it's your will, if it's your will, if it's mm. your will. And I, I think that that's because yeah. I was like guarding myself against the possibility that God wouldn't answer my prayer the way I wanted them to. But nowadays, I really just don't do it anymore. I believe in the principle which God's will is sometimes not my will. Correct. Okay. Sometimes he says no, but now I just ask for it. Yeah. I'll just say, God heal this person. And if he says, no, I'm not going to say God. Now I asked you to do it. Why didn't you do it? I'm not going to behave that way. I'm not going to be spiritually defeated and say, well, it's my fault. I didn't have enough faith. Correct. I'm going to, as an obedient child say, well, my father said no. And I'm sure that he's got a good reason for doing that. My, my prayer was all is always that I pray in his will. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's like, a, you know, I, whenever, whenever I'm praying, I'm praying in your will. I want your will to be my will. Yes. As opposed to, I want my will to be his will. Yes. Right. Yes, so that absolutely. way, when you do pray, you're going to get what, what he wants. <laughs> I guess what I'm trying <laughs> you know to say though, when I think I, we're when in I, the same boat, the same thing. Yeah, thing. absolutely. We're saying the same thing. I guess the reason that I don't say that is because I know what I meant in the past yes. when I said it, it was like I didn't really have yeah. the faith to ask because I thought, well, why even ask? You know, mm. he's just going to do what he's going to do. And now I don't see that as I read through scripture, we should exercise We're faith. We're supposed to. We should be pray. full of faith. Yes. Now, faith doesn't mean God will do what I want him to do all the Correct. time. It means I believe that God can 
And I believe that this is in line with his general will. Yes. Like he stated that he loves people and he's healed people in the past. And he wants us to ask. And he wants us to ask him. So now I go to God more boldly and say, like, I pray for this person's healing. If the person isn't healed, though, like I said, I'm not going to be defeated. I'm simply going to say, okay, God, well, your will be done, right? Yes. So, but again, in the Baptist church, I think because of our cessationist mm. views, we just sometimes don't even want to pray for healing without saying, if it's your will. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. Because we're so guarded, like we don't really have the faith that God actually could do this. Yeah. And yeah, I think yeah, we yeah. should. I think yeah, we should have faith. Should. Like, look, when I pray that God heal this person, like there is a good chance that God will say yes. Mm -hmm. And I don't go into that with skepticism. Right. Just it's a healthy awareness yes. that God's will is bigger than me. Absolutely. You know, and so that's, I guess, what I'm trying to explain when we distinguish between the gift of healing and healing that today it's through prayer. Sometimes God answers, sometimes he doesn't. When he does, it's a genuine miracle. He deserves glory. We should share it so everybody hears it. Yeah. The gift of healing is something that involves a prophetic gift that is not currently being exercised today in the Correct. church. Uh, and I think this is kind of something that you would say uh, most people that I've talked to, I think, would admit this. Like, they would feel very uncomfortable, most, I say, mm. would feel uncomfortable with saying, I am promising you that you will be healed. You know, mm -hmm. even some charismatic people would be like, I'm going to lay hands on you and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray today and tomorrow. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fast over this. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they'll really get into it. But even a lot of them will have a healthy understanding and say, well, I can't really tell you that it's going to happen. Right. Yes. But you have some people now in the word of faith movement. They do say that. Like, I mean, they demand it. Like, yeah. Like this is going to happen. And they tell themselves that. And if it fails, they'll say it was me. I didn't have enough have faith. faith. Sometimes they'll put it on the person and say, maybe you didn't have enough faith. But a lot of times the more well-meaning people will say, I didn't have enough faith. It was really on me. Um, if I had enough faith, then God would do what I wanted him to do. And that's just not biblical because it fails to rightly divide God's word. And understand yes. the special commission that the apostles had and the prophets Absolutely. had that we don't have. Yep. Uh, so let's look up some other verses here. So um, let's look at Matthew 23. And um, we're not going to get past this slide today. So let's just look at these verses. Matthew 23. There we go. Uh, 37, 39. All right. Uh, 37 to 39. You're probably getting there quicker than me. Right. It's a new Bible. As it turned out, I... I am. Okay. Well, do you want to go ahead and read those no. for me then, Scott? Sure. Um, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill your prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often I would have gathered you, gathered your children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Look, your house is left, is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you shall not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Wow. The right stuff? Yes. That's right. I mean, that's bombshell verses right there for yeah. so many reasons. Like verse 37. Yes. Um, when it says ye would not. Yeah. That right there blows Calvinism out of the water. Like he says, it is you. You would. The word here is will. Yes. Okay. Your will. You refuse to will it. And yes. so that's why it hasn't happened. 
I would have gathered you. I would have granted you, of course, individual salvation and forgiveness. If and, you'd have done it. And, and, and I would have even given you as a nation the kingdom. Yes. But you would not. So what are the consequences? Well, obviously the individuals would go without forgiveness if they maintain their hardness of heart. But look at verse number 38. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. This mm. is 70 AD. This is not a spiritualized verse here. I mean, this is going to literally happen. And verse 39, what happens now? That's the question. Like God yep. does not permanently cast off his people because he has an unconditional covenant with them. And praise God that God's all about unconditional covenants. But in verse 39, it tells us what's going to happen. Now that the temple will be destroyed, he says, you shall not see, see me henceforth down. till ye shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. There's going to be an interlude. And this is something we talked about last week. What is going to happen now that the Jews have rejected their mm. Messiah? There's going to be this new setup where you got this field called the world, not Israel, right. by the way, the world. Yeah. And you have the wheat and you have the tares. And that is going to continue unchanged until the harvest. Yeah. And the harvest will not be until the Jews say, blessed is he, he who, who comes, comes in the name of the Lord. So understanding Bible prophecy, it makes sense of all of these parables and teachings of Jesus that are often just dismissed, mm -hmm. you know, laid aside, like we're not going to debate over the particulars. You know, a lot of people will say, because there's really a spiritual meaning here. That's what you'll often see in the old Testament too. Like yeah. with the temple, the millennial temple. Yeah. Oh, well that's just, that's like representing the church. And it's like, there's a lot of details in there though. Yeah. That's all right. Tell me what all these details which church mean. are you talking about? Yeah. It's like, they'll, they'll say, well, don't really get bogged down in the details, but it's really detailed. Yes. Like, I mean, this isn't like I, a parable. You're talking about the end of I, Isaiah. I, uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, yeah. So it's not, it's not even like a parable where you have some details that are necessary no, to tell a story. like measuring it out. It's he's very like, specific. Yes. So the literal hermeneutic, the dispensationalists operate on, says, look, this stuff is literal. Like, it's literally going to look like this. That's right. And... That's why Jesus, when he spoke of the kingdom and John the Baptist and the disciples um, and Paul, even when he preached to the Jew first, right. um, all of this has the Old Testament understanding of the kingdom in mind. This is what the kingdom looks like to them. Yes. Now, Paul, of course, teaches something that is um, misunderstood by a lot of people. I would say even dispensationalists are wrong about this. So if you're listening to me... Um, I'm going to share something that might surprise you because as you listen, you can tell, like I am a dispensationalist, right? I do believe in the kingdom offer. I even believe it was extended for 40 years before 70 AD. However, in Galatians, when Paul talks about the Israel of God, it is my belief that could be wrong, but it's my belief that he is talking about the church as in no Jew, no Gentile. Now, where do I get that from? Well, if you were to read the context of the book, you go back a little bit. What are you talking about? In Galatians, at the very end, he talks about the Israel of God. And it's a really controversial verse because um, it's usually one of those linchpin verses where people will say, this is what divides covenant theologians from dispensationalists. Okay. And I think that that's kind of wrong in a way because I think that dispensationalists could disagree on this. Um, but let me find it for you. and. I'll read it. We're in Galatians. It's the last chapter. Uh, chapter six. All right. Verse number 16. And as many as walk according to this rule, he's talking about grace rather than 
works of the flesh and the law. As many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. Now that right there, if you look up most dispensational commentators, they'll say, well, that's talking about Jewish believers. That's possible. However, if you look earlier in Galatians, and I'm not prepared tonight because I don't have my Bible that I have highlighted all in, but uh, earlier when he makes um, a point based on Hagar and Sarah, uh, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, he's allegorizing that. We shouldn't do that. He was an apostle. All right. right. So don't allegorize things unless Paul does it for you um, or any of the apostles for that matter. But he mentions the Jerusalem, which is above. He mentions the heavenly Jerusalem. Yeah. And he says that heavenly Jerusalem is mother of us all. Now, when he's talking about the heavenly Jerusalem, he's not talking about the earthly one. That's obvious. Yeah. So the earthly one pertains to the earthly people of God. That is Abraham's physical descendants. But Paul also talks about in Galatians that you can be a spiritual child of Abraham. Am I a child of Abraham? Well, it depends on what you mean. If you mean, am I a physical descendant of Abraham? As far as I know, no. Am I a spiritual descendant of Abraham? Yes. So we're talking about two different peoples of God, yet they overlap with each other. Right. One can be a descendant of Abraham physically and be part of the church. But I think that the Israel of God pertains to every single person who is part of the bride of Christ. So if you're saved, regardless of your ethnicity, you're part of the Israel of God. You're a child of Abraham. It's very consistent with what Paul's been saying. Right. However, we know from his other writings that Paul is not saying that, look, the physical people of God, the Israelites genetically, they have no more purpose in God's plan. Right. You can't say that. Now that's where they get it wrong when they'll say, okay, Israel of God, that's the church. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you on that point, but then they'll take it too far and they'll say, well, there's no plan for earthly Israel anymore. Mm. And they'll say that the covenant that God made with Abraham uh, really wasn't a physical one, that these promises are conditioned on whether or not you receive Christ. Of course, being a part of God's heavenly people, going to heaven when you die, Mm -hmm. you have to receive Jesus for that. That's right. We're not denying that at all. Um, But the nation of Israel corporately, collectively across the centuries has been preserved by God, yet they've rejected Jesus that whole time. So they're clearly being held by God and not forsaken by him, mm-hmm. even though they have not repented yet. Right. So that's where I think dispensationalists are correct. They say God's got a plan for physical Israel. He's not done with them and they're unconditionally kept by him. But that doesn't mean that that's the be all end all. What is the be all end all? Being part of the bride, right? making sure that you're spiritually begotten and part of God's family. Um, and there are going to be many Jews who come to this realization, right? Okay, which is wonderful. And Messianic Jews already are, already got which, is, it. which is great. Um, so I believe the earthly Israel was always meant to picture the heavenly one. Mm-hmm. The earthly Jerusalem was a nexus on this planet, visible, that you could visit. That was meant to remind you of your home and your home is heaven. True. Right. Home. And that Jerusalem has not been revealed yet. Correct. So when you walk around Jerusalem, in a sense, don't get too comfortable. Mm. Okay. Uh, sure. Be impressed with the glorious heritage of Amen. it, you know, and be reminded of how God's used this city and its people and how he yes. continues to and will yes. in the future. But don't lose sight of the fact that this is only a picture pointing to something bigger. Right. And one day when the new heaven, and the new earth come, 
that new Jerusalem, that's going to be the nexus now. Mm. Not that earthly one that we could visit today. Not even the one that's in the millennium. That one will pass away that's too. Right. The new Jerusalem will not come until the eternal state. Now let's look at uh, Acts chapter 2. Mm. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And I'll get this one because I found it first. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young mm. men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Dream dreams. And so... Um, it's one of my favorites. As we can, we can see that this idea of parallel prophecies or parallel fulfillments... Um, there are other examples of it. You know, we talked about tongues, how you have the Isaiah passage, and then you have the first Corinthians one. Yeah. One's before Paul's day and one is in Paul's day. And the same thing can be said about Pentecost. So you have this outpouring of the Holy spirit on the Jewish people, but it foreshadows another one in the future. Right. Right. So there's a kingdom offer 2000 years ago, and there'll be a kingdom offer whenever the rapture happens, whenever right. the Jews are preached to. So I'm of the belief, and I shared this a while back. You can go back a couple lessons in this series and um, listen to that one. But I believe that gifts, the sign gifts, will return. So I'm not a cessationist in the absolute sense, because some people are. Like, there's no gifts until Jesus comes back, and we won't even need them then, right? right. I do believe they will be resumed after the rapture. But until then, I don't expect to see them. Because, right. because they're connected to the kingdom message, which isn't being preached right now. Like, I'm not going around telling people to repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right. Because I'm not making that offer. Correct. All right. That offer will be made after the rapture when the two witnesses start preaching to the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. uh, now, let's look at this. Well, let's just look at Matthew 4, I guess, because both of these verses that are on the slide, I'll tell you what they are for those who are listening. It's Matthew 4. 23 through 25 in Luke 9 verses 1 through 2. These both essentially say the same thing, but a Matthew 4 23 links signs and the kingdom offer. So Matthew 4 23 says, and Jesus went all about Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Notice there gospel of the kingdom. What is that mm. talking about? Is that just how to get saved? No, there's more to it than that. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those who were possessed with devils and those who were lunatic and those who had the palsy and he healed them. Jesus did these miracles in conjunction with his kingdom preaching, right? Mm. These were signs of the kingdom. And you know, since it won't take but just two seconds, I might as well read Luke. I said I wasn't going to, but let's do that. Luke 9, 1 through 2. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to what? Preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Right. There is a very close connection between these sign gifts and the kingdom message. And that's something we'll talk more about next week, but I'll go ahead and give you a quick summary of what I'm going to dive more in in detail next week. Okay. Um, the next slide is about healing in the kingdom. Healing in the first century was meant to manifest or give you a taste of the kingdom to come. 
Mm. It was to let the Jews in particular know, you see what's happening here? Mm. These demons being conquered. You see these people being cured of disease. You see these people being brought back from the dead. Mm. This stuff is what the kingdom is made of. One day the devil will be bound as I'm binding these demons. One day all diseases will be removed as I'm removing some now. Mm. And one day you'll have glorified bodies just as I am staving off death for some of these people for a temporary amount of time. Mm. This is all just but a taste right. of what you have to look forward to if you repent and receive the kingdom. Mm. So it's, it's on the cusp. It's right there. It's so close. They could reach out and touch it, but just barely, right? They yeah. can't fully experience it because that requires the condition to be met. Yeah. But he gives them enough. Now, since the kingdom will not come until the Jews repent and they're not being offered that right now, you wouldn't expect the kingdom to be so close where you could mm. touch it in the sense that they did they could then. touch it. Okay. Cause back then they could, they could, they could have, it was right there. Like all these miracles were a genuine offer from God to bring them this and more touch, touches his, uh, the threads off of his robe, whatever and you'll be healed and you'll be healed. Right. So all of that was meant to tell us that the kingdom was close 2000 years ago. Yeah. We're used to, I think sometimes to think, okay, well, you know, that was just one step in getting closer. Right. Mm -hmm. But that was still far from the kingdom after all. I mean, that's 2000 years ago. Sure. And we'll think of ourselves in a way more close to the kingdom than they were. But right now, if we were to think about it in a sense, they were closer to the kingdom Absolutely. than we are right now. Yes. Okay. As far as the kingdom coming to earth, I'm not talking yes. about the rapture. Like they were closer to the kingdom then Yes. because he was there and yes. he was telling him it could happen. Yeah. And so when you say, okay, all these miracles, these signs should be in the church today because the kingdom is now it's in your midst. It's, it's a spiritual kingdom. You're misunderstanding the whole point. Correct. Okay. And so I don't expect to see these things because we're not in that unique scenario mm. that they were in. Then. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about that next week, but that's the, the gist of it. But it, we're going to talk about, you know, what it means to be a son of God and how Paul talks about manifesting um, or the sons of God being manifested in the future and how we are the sons of God now, but we don't have all the benefits yet. Yeah. And so we'll talk about that um, next time. Awesome. But thank you for listening. God bless you.